Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. This week on the podcast, our guest is Nancy Burke. Dr. Burke chairs the Department of Jewish, Islamic, and Near Eastern Languages and Cultures here at Washington University in St. Louis. She joined Hold That Thought to talk about Baghdad, but a Baghdad that's quite different from the one we're used to hearing about in the news. One of Burke's areas of research focuses on Jewish authors who write about their memories of Baghdad, not memories of war often, but instead of a thriving Jewish community that existed there until the mid-20th century. I personally had no idea how many of these authors were out there. When I went to talk to Burke, there was a huge pile of these books on her desk. And in fact, she might not have discovered the genre either, without the help of one particular book of short stories. So when I was an undergraduate, I was taking Hebrew and Arabic. And I remember being in a bookstore, and they had one book in Arabic. And I bought it, even though I couldn't read it yet. Um, I guess it was a small act of hubris. But it was short stories by Iraqi Jewish writers. The book sat on a shelf for years before she was fluent enough in Arabic to actually read it. But then, when thinking about topics to research for her dissertation, she remembered it. I saw the book on my shelf and thought, well, that's kind of interesting. There are Jewish writers from Iraq who wrote short stories. And so I looked into it and then discovered the whole world of Iraqi jewelry. And that's kind of how I got started. Many of these Jewish authors write about Baghdad not simply as a place they had happened to once live. There's a deep sense of connection in these works that comes from tradition and being part of a deep-seated community and history. Iraq was host to the most rooted, the most ancient, integrated, and educated Jewish community that dated back to 586 BCE, before the Common Era. In many ways, the Jewish community in Baghdad was integrated with the rest of Iraqi society. This was especially true starting in the 1920s. They were active in fields ranging from business to music. The commerce stopped on Saturdays on the Jewish Sabbath. Something like 98% of the musicians were Jewish, so that there were no live broadcasts on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The first finance minister in Iraq was Jewish. The first beauty queen in Iraq was Jewish. And many prominent writers were also Jewish. The 1930s and 40s were in a very exciting time. It was the time of the Iraqi literary renaissance, and the Jews were an integral part in the renaissance. Um, the first short story writer, the first person to write an Iraqi short story, was an Iraqi Jew, Muran um, Mikhail. Writers, editors, and publishers from a variety of backgrounds would gather in cafes to discuss art and literature. But sadly, this rich cultural scene was short-lived. During World War II, many Iraqis had Nazi sympathies, and anti-Semitism was on the rise. In the early 1940s, some 200 members of the Jewish community were murdered in a two-day riot. Ten years later, by 1951, some 124,000 of the 135,000 Jews in Iraq had left, immigrating mainly to Israel. 
now living in foreign lands. Over time, Jewish writers created short stories, novels, and memoirs, remembering the Baghdad they once knew. There are many examples of these types of stories. I asked Burke to share just one or two. One that is, that probably has to be mentioned, is the um, novel Victoria by Sami Michael. Victoria was first published in 1993 in Hebrew and later translated to English. It's a large book, some 300 pages long, and includes a huge amount of detail and description. For me, it was a, a difficult book to read. It starts out sort of like War and Peace with a huge panorama scene, lots of characters, and a, not a complicated plot, but an interesting approach to the plot. You might think that this type of novel would be more interesting to academics, like Burke, than your average reader. Even the author himself had doubts about how the book would be received. When he was writing it, he was thinking, who is this going to interest a book about a poor girl in the early 20th century, late 19th century Baghdad? Who would it possibly interest? The answer was lots of people. Lots and lots of people. It was on the bestseller list for, I think, 50 out of the 52 weeks of that year that it came out. I was in Israel that year, and I spent a lot of time with the writer and going with him to different meetings that he had with people, fans who had read it. And we'd go from uh, the equivalent of a YMCA to a community center to another place. And there would be crowds of people who were just so enthusiastic. Despite Victoria being a long and complicated book, these fans felt intimately connected to the story. Many of the readers had their own memories of Jewish life in Iraq. It was almost always personal. It was almost always, this is what my parents talked to me about, or this was the life I had lived, or this is what I knew. And there was just this real thirst and curiosity. The scenes and emotions in the novel felt real to many of these readers. Bird got to see these reactions firsthand for Victoria. But the same is true for many other books in the genre. Many of these writers are writing these memoirs in part as um, a corrective to show a time where even if things were not always wonderful, there was great integration between the different ethnic communities and religious communities. And I think those who were involved in that really miss that. It makes sense that this focus on place and memory would be so strong for writers and readers who lived in Baghdad themselves, who experienced this exile firsthand. But Burke has found that even the children of those who left Iraq feel connected to that time and place. And like their parents, some of these children express that connection through writing. It strikes me that some of these second-generation Iraqi Jews have taken on their parents' longings and their parents' memories, and it comes out in their writing, so much so that some of them even consider themselves exiled from Iraq, from a place that they have never been. One example is Almog Bahar, an author and poet. Bahar grew up in Israel, but his mother was from Iraq. Almog Bahar is a great example. He wrote an essay, Echa Yeshva Baghdad, in which he identifies as an Arab Jew, and he writes as if his identity is dependent on knowing the Arabic language. And he asks in this essay, who will hear my longings for the Iraqi homeland in a language that is not Arabic? And that parallels Psalm 137, 
the By the Waters of Babylon, perhaps the most famous psalm, how can we sing in a foreign land? And he's trying to figure out how is he really an Arab Jew if he has never lived in an Arab land and if he does not speak Arabic. Bahar's short story includes a description of Baghdad that the reader discovers is not actually real. He's dreamily describing a city that's based on his mother's memory, not his own. What Bahar imagines, however, other second-generation writers actually describe. Driven by curiosity and a sense of heritage, some of these writers have chosen to return to Iraq. So one of them is Marina Benjamin, who appropriates her mother's nostalgia and has the opportunity, I believe in 2004, to go to Iraq. I was going to say to return to Iraq. That's the term she uses, and her mother asks, how can you return if you've never been there? And she goes, and a lot of it is a disappointment. She's there and thinks how relieved she is her mother's not with her. The great, mighty Tigris River, the Tigris River, is looks kind of muddy, small, and not very exciting. The place just isn't what she has pictured from her mother's memory. And the only place she sees Hebrew is in the cemetery, in the Jewish cemetery. And that seems to have great meaning um, and significance because it really is about the death of a community. Whether based off of first-generation or second-generation experiences, these novels and stories depict a real place and time. In some ways, Burke believes, more real than the versions of the place that we find outside of literature. I'm a little biased, but I think history tries to get at the facts, reportage gets at the facts, and I think literature gets at the truth, and there's an emotional truth that is left out of history, journalism, and so forth, that is supposed to be left out. Um, and I really do think that it's literature's role to get at that truth. Truth about family, about memory, and about the meaning of home and place. In this case, Baghdad. Burke herself has not personally been to Baghdad, at least not yet. But like so many others, she has traveled there through the words and memories of writers. I did have an experience where I was talking to two of the memoirists. We were in Cairo on a boat on the Nile, and it reminded them very much of being on the Tigris in Iraq when they were young, and they reverted to the Jewish Iraqi Arabic dialect. And you could see the years sort of flake off of them as, it, as we were just moving down the uh, river. And it was, it was almost as if I got to be in Baghdad. Many thanks to Nancy Burke for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, please visit us at holdthatthought.wusdl.edu. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter or subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, PRX, or SoundCloud. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>